Upland Church, my name is Marco and I serve as your student ministry pastor. I want to thank you for joining us for our online service today. We're glad you're here. Right now, as you're watching this, you're joining many others in houses and apartments all across Tracy, Mountain House, and Lathrop, and even around the world. We may be in different places today, but we're gathering online to worship Jesus together. So get ready to lean in into something much bigger today. It's Memorial Day weekend, and if you're remembering someone you've lost today, we pray that you know God's comfort and peace. Please let us know if there's any way we can serve you during this time. We want to keep you up to date with what's happening in the Southwinds Church family. So keep checking our website, our Facebook, and our Instagram for the latest information. As part of our Breakthrough Spiritual Initiative, we kicked off this past October, we're doing everything we can to serve our neighbors, especially during this season. We believe good deeds lead to goodwill, which opens the door for the good news. This week, we held our second Red Cross blood drive here on our campus, and every spot was filled. Thank you to everyone who donated and volunteered this past week. We want to serve you as well, and if you need help of any kind, or if you simply need prayer, give us a call at 835-HOPE or email us at hope at southwinds.org. During this time, it's important that all of us keep practicing generosity. Online giving makes this very convenient and simple to set up. Just go to southwinds.org, click on giving, follow the simple instruction, and we'll send you a confirmation code and a receipt. There are two ways that you can give. First, by your regular tithes and offerings, and second, by giving above and beyond to our Breakthrough Spiritual Initiative. Thank you for helping us love our neighbors in Jesus' name. For the last several weeks, our student ministry team has been honoring our class of 2020 in several different ways. And today we're going to give them an opportunity to graduate and walk across their stage in front of their friends and family. We'll be hosting a graduation ceremony today at 3 p.m. Come join us on Zoom and share some appreciation for your class of 2020. Check out this short senior video that we made for them and their families. Take that jump, you don't feel the fall. Hope when the water rises, you build a wall. Hope when the crowd screams out, you're screaming your name. Hope if everybody runs, you choose to stay. Hope that you fall in love and it hurts so bad.
Good morning. Today is week 11 of gathering virtually for worship. And for all of us, this has been a challenging season in so many different ways. We've all had to adjust to some new realities. For some, the new reality is no work or limited work in the struggle that comes with reduced income. For some, the new reality is just staying home all the time without your usual activities of commuting to work or enjoying your favorite recreation or just seeing friends at church. For some, the new reality is you're home all the time and so are those other people who live with you. In fact, some wives have asked if Southwinds could start a get my husband out of my house ministry. We'll take your emails at pullingmyhairout at southwinds.org. You know, for some of you who work remotely, you're finally discovering what it's like to be a stay-at-home parent, but, but nobody told you about those stay-at-home kids. Maybe you heard about this, but a few weeks ago, someone started a great meme on Twitter. It went like this. If you're attempting to work from home with kids, tell us something that your kids are doing, but refer to them as your coworkers. All kinds of hilarious responses. Here's one. I told my coworker to take a couple of hours off and take a nap. She's currently kicking her office door and crying hysterically. Uh, another one says, my coworker just walked out the door and peed off the front porch. One said, my coworker had the nerve to tell me that she doesn't want a job. She said, I want you to work and just take care of me. Another one, my coworker yelled, watch me wiggle my butt repeatedly during my last conference call. And then there was one that said, my coworker asked me uh, to lift her up onto the toilet. And when I said that she was big enough to do it herself, she made the L for loser sign at me. And then one uh, said, my coworker just pooped in her pull up and lied about it. I don't know about you, but I think we all could use some laughs about right now. But seriously, uh, how do Christ followers respond to all the difficulties, all the troubles we're facing right now. Whether it's job troubles or financial troubles or marital troubles or parenting troubles or emotional or health troubles, I mean, how should we face all these things as we shelter in place? Well, here's what the Bible says. And you're not gonna like this, I need to warn you. Uh, Philippians 4.4, listen to what Paul writes here. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. And then in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, Paul says, Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, some of you may be asking right now, is God serious? Does he really expect us to be joyful always, to give thanks in all circumstances? And the answer is yes. That's precisely what he says. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. The Bible teaches that rejoicing and giving thanks in all circumstances is God's will for all Christ followers. Or you could put it this way, God wants you to shelter with joy. Now, if you've walked with God very long, you've heard this before. But the reality is that most of us don't live here, at least not as much as we'd like to, not like we know we should. We know we struggle in normal seasons to rejoice when we have problems, but, but how much more during this unprecedented time? 
Today, I, I want you to look with me at a passage of scripture that's been pivotal in my life for 40 years. And, and I certainly don't live it out all the time, but, but time and time again in my life, God has used this to rebuke me and challenge me, to courage, encourage me, to, to strengthen me, to help me live with joy. The passage is James 1, uh, verses 2 through 12. So if you haven't done this already, get your Bible out. And and let's turn to this passage and let's read it together. It's God's word for us today. Beginning in verse 2, it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position. But the one who is rich should take pride in his low position because he will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Now with that passage in your mind, I want to ask you a question. How many of you have ever had a really bad day? In fact, you think that your bad day was probably worse than anyone else that you know. I want you to compare your day to an actual day that a young man named Brian had. I I read his story years ago. His name was Brian Heiss. He lived in Provo, Utah. It it happened in July 1981. And this day was so horrible that the Encyclopedia Britannica recorded it under the heading, Unusual Events of the Year. Brian woke up in his apartment one morning with water splashing on his face. The, The plumbing in the apartment above his had burst. And he climbed out of bed and he was standing in ankle deep water. His landlord told him to rent a water vacuum. So he raced to his car only to discover it had a flat tire. He fixed that, but things seemed to be worse in the apartment. So he went back, called a friend for help. And when he picked up the phone, standing ankle deep in water, the phone shocked him so badly, he ripped it off the wall. Well, he had to leave again, but, but now the apartment door had swollen in the frame and it wouldn't open. And he had to yell and scream until someone came and kicked the door in from the outside. Out in the parking lot, there was more bad news. His car had been stolen. And he knew it didn't have much gas, so he walked a few blocks. He found it abandoned in the middle of the road, and he pushed his car to a gas station. Later that day, he had to go to an ROTC ceremony, and as he climbed into his car, he carelessly tossed his bayonet on the front seat, and then he sat on it. And his friends, well, they had to rush him to ER for some strategic surgery. After the ceremony, he went home, and he was exhausted. But when he opened the door, he saw that falling plaster had killed four of his pet canaries. And he ran across the still wet carpet. And as he did, he slipped and he fell and he injured his tailbone. And that same evening, his friends took him back to the ER. 
a, a reporter from a Provo newspaper finally caught up with all of this and came to see him. And he asked him, Mr. Heiss, how do you explain a day like this? Looking up from his hospital bed, Brian Heiss said, well, it just looked like God wanted to kill me, but he kept missing. <laughs> well, maybe you're wondering that too. You know, no matter what's going on in your life right now, James tells you the same thing that he says to everyone, and that is rejoice. As we shelter in place, we should shelter with joy. You say, how? Uh, Let me explain three steps that each of us can take to shelter with joy. Here's the first one. You can write this down in, in your message notes. Number one, accept the reality of life's troubles. Here's what I told you last week. Maybe you remember When it comes to trouble, it's not if, it's always when. We all go through trouble. In fact, that's what James says in verse two. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. You might want to underline the word whenever. James makes it clear that trouble is inevitable. He says, accept the reality of trouble. It's just part of life in a broken world. In his famous book, The Road Less Traveled, author Scott Peck's first sentence says this, life is difficult. James also tells us that trouble is unpredictable. Trouble will come, but we never know when. You know, you can't schedule a major car repair or a global pandemic. And unpredictability is just part of what makes trouble hard. I read this last week about a guy riding on a New York subway for the first time. It was really crowded. He was crammed in right next to the door and he got motion sickness. And then suddenly the subway stopped and the door opened and this guy lost his lunch right on the first guy standing in line. And then the doors closed and the subway took off again. You know, the guy in line, he was just waiting for the subway, minding his own business, trying to get to work. I mean, don't you know he was saying, why me? The Greek word for trials gives us the English word pirate. And like pirates, trials, troubles, ambush unsuspecting Christ followers. And then there's that verb James uses that says to face. A literal translation would say whenever you fall into a trial. In fact, it's the same word that Jesus used when he told the parable of the Good Samaritan. The the traveler was making his journey, minding his own business, when suddenly he fell into the hands of thieves. And the thieves ambushed him. That's what trials and trouble do because they're unpredictable. James has one more thing to say concerning the reality of trouble. He says, it's random. Trouble comes in all shapes and sizes. There's variety, both in quality and quantity. And and this comes from the word that's translated many kinds. It literally means multicolored. And if you were to read the Greek translation of the Old Testament, you would see it's the word used to describe Joseph's coat of many colors. You know this, troubles come at us from all directions. Sometimes they come all at once. We say when it rains, it pours. You never know. And we just need to accept trouble's reality. That's why Peter says what he said in 1 Peter 4.12. He said, dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. It's not strange. It's normal. It's reality. We have to accept it. And, and accepting that reality puts us on the path to joy. Here's the second thing we need to know and need to practice. To shelter with joy, I need to affirm the results of life's troubles. You know, one of the important things that 
James tells us in these verses is that trouble can have value. Trouble can produce good results in our lives. In other words, God doesn't send trouble into our lives to torment us. He always has a purpose. And James points out some of those purposes in verses three and four. Why do we rejoice when trouble comes? Well, here's what James says. We rejoice because you know, underline because you know, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. James points out here three results of life's troubles and tests in our lives. First, he says, trouble reveals my faith's authenticity. That Greek word testing, that refers to what's left over after a trial is done. Ancient writers would use this word to describe what happened when gold was refined. When gold gets heated up, the impurities will float to the top and get skimmed off and thrown away. And and back then, the goldsmith would know that the gold was pure when he could see his reflection in the molten metal. And then this gold would be labeled tested. It had gone through the fire. It had been proven to be genuine. Same thing happens when we go through trouble in our lives. God takes away stuff we don't need. Now, sometimes some of us, like we we stir the junk back in, but instead we need to let God work. We need to let God test us. We need to let God take away what shouldn't be there so that we become more authentic people. Second, James says that trouble develops perseverance. We rejoice because we know that the testing of our faith develops perseverance. Perseverance means you keep on keeping on. You, You don't give up. The word literally means the ability to remain under. In in other words, when trouble weighs you down, you don't run, you don't escape, you remain under, you bear up. Another word for this is patience. Trials, trouble makes me more patient. Now, why does God want to teach me patience? Well, James says here that it's so you may be mature. In, In fact, he says patience is linked to maturity. I want you to think about this. Immature people are always impatient people. The most immature people you know are the most impatient people you know, right? You see, but through trouble, God develops our patience. And and patience actually is the key to every other blessing. Have you ever thought about this? Why is perseverance so important? I ran across a profound thought studying this passage. One scholar made a statement that just stopped me in my tracks. He said that perseverance provides the atmosphere in which all other virtues can grow. In other words, perseverance is the environment in which other virtues can grow. It's like the soil, the fertilizer, the moisture, the sunshine. Without it, the seeds of other character traits cannot grow. I mean, just think about it. Without perseverance, what character quality of Christlikeness can you develop? Not self-control. It takes perseverance to order and discipline your life. Not faith. It takes perseverance to believe God in a world that never stops telling you to doubt not love. It takes perseverance to love the unlovely. I mean, you have to keep loving. In fact, let me ask you this. Think about it. How many relationships have you wrecked because you weren't patient? How many lessons in your life did you fail to learn because you weren't patient and you just had to go through them again later? You see, trouble develops perseverance. Third, trouble leads to maturity. James says, Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. 
It's kind of interesting. James uses the word mature more than any other New Testament writer. And maturity is God's long-range goal for you. God wants you to grow up. So many Christians, it's kind of interesting when I talk to them, uh, so many of them think when they get honest, they really think that God's goal for them is happiness. I mean, God, just make me happy. But think about it. How many of your prayers, honestly, that's really the bottom line. You pray, God, do this so I will be happy. God, stop this so I will be happy. God, take this away so I will be happy. God's purpose in your life is to make you like Jesus, not to make you happy. And that's why he saved you. And that's why you have trouble. If God is going to develop Christ-like character in you, he's going to put you through some of the same things that Jesus went through. And Jesus faced all kinds of trouble. Why would we think that we wouldn't? I love what the Phillips translation does here at this point. It explains rejoicing in trouble this way. It says, we are to welcome trials as friends. Do you do this? Are you doing this right now? If you've walked with Christ for a while, you know you're supposed to do this. And, and sometimes, well, we don't want to do this. Sometimes we, we fake it. Do you realize you can fake joy? This is a true story. It happened during the Korean War. Some American soldiers stationed in Korea had rented a house and they hired a a local boy to do their housekeeping and their cooking. And it was just a common thing soldiers did during that war. And this, this young guy was a great employee. He was this incredibly positive person, always happy, always smiling. And, and so the soldiers started pranking him, you know, trying to make him mad. One night they nailed his shoes to the floor. And the next morning he got up, he saw what had happened, but he just pulled the nails out with pliers. He slipped on his shoes. He kept smiling. They would put grease on the stove handles, but he just wiped them off. Just keep smiling. Just keep singing. They would balance buckets of water over the door. He'd open the door and get drenched, but he never complained. He just dried himself off. He just kept going time after time after time. And finally, these soldiers became ashamed of themselves. They called him in and they said, look, we're really sorry. Your your attitude's been incredible. And we promise we're never going to play a trick on you again. He said, you mean no more nail shoes to floor? And he said, no more. He said, no more sticky on stove knobs. No more. He said, no more water buckets on door. They said, no more. He smiled. Okay, no more spit and soup. You've ever done that one. Uh, you're acting like you're rejoicing, but the reality is you're spitting in the soup. See, when you really see what God can do through your troubles, it's then that you can truly begin to rejoice and it will be real. Now, I want to tell you something very, very important. Trouble is not a sign that God is absent. It is a sign that God is active. Pain and adversity mean God is at work. And that's why you can have joy because you know God is doing something and it's of eternal importance in your life. I mean, really, don't you want to be mature and complete? God tells you that trouble is the only way to get there. And so you need to affirm the results of trouble in your life. Uh, Maybe you're still kind of asking, okay, I think I understand this, but again, I'm wondering how. I mean, how do I do this? How do I rejoice? How can I shelter with joy? I think the final step James gives us helps with that. He says we need to ask for God's resource 
for facing life's trouble. You say, what is God's resource? Well, James says that that resource is wisdom. When a test surrounds you and you don't know what to do, James says, ask God for wisdom and you'll be able to find a way through the trial. Now look again at verse five. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to him. A pastor named Warren Wearsby was the pastor of a very large church in downtown Chicago years ago. And he had an, an administrative assistant who was just going through huge amounts of trouble. She had a stroke herself. And at the same time, her husband went blind. And, and one week he was taken to the hospital. They all thought he was going to die. I mean, it was just a terrible time. One Sunday, Pastor Wearsby saw her at, at church and he said to her, I'm praying for you. And she stopped him. And she said something that surprised him. She said, thank you for praying for me. But can I ask you, what are you praying for me? He'd never been asked that before. And he said, pardon me? She said, specifically, what are you praying for God to do? And he kind of mumbled, well, I'm praying for God to give you strength. She said, thank you. But would you please pray about one more thing? Pray that I'll have the wisdom not to waste this. When you face life's test, the main thing you need is wisdom. And, and I just want to ask you, challenge you, are you willing to face your trouble like that, whatever it is you're facing right now? You see, we don't usually think that wisdom's what we need, not most of the time. C.S. Lewis has so many great quotes. Here's one that he writes about this. He says, of old, in other words, in olden times, the cardinal problem of human life was how to conform the soul to objective reality. And the solution was wisdom, discipline, and virtue. But for the modern mind, the cardinal problem is how to subdue reality to our wishes, and the solution is a technique. So how do I conform my soul to what is? That's wisdom. And today, we so often think the answer is technique, a method, a, a pill, a, a how-to self-help book. In other words, fix me. What's wisdom? I've heard many definitions, and I like this one the best. Wisdom is the ability to look at life from God's perspective and live that way. How do you get wisdom? James verse, chapter 1, verse 5 says, all you need to do is ask. It's simple. You ask, God gives. You say, well, is that all? Well, not quite. James says we must ask for wisdom in faith. Look at verse six, he writes, but when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. And verses seven and eight go on to say that the person who doubts won't receive anything from the Lord because they're double-minded. Now I wanna be real clear here. We need to understand James is not talking about people who struggle at times with faith, who have doubts. He is talking about people who are consciously living with one foot in God's family and one foot in the world. These are people who haven't decided if they really wanna follow God, if God is really worth following or not. And I just wanna say, if that's you, I urge you, believe that God is truly good. Stop settling for the superficial cheap promises of our world. See, James says we don't need to doubt because of who God is. And he tells us that God is generous. 
Back in verse five, James says literally that God is the giving God. In other words, giving is not just something God does, it's who he is. That's why God gives generously. And when God gives, you can know there's always more than enough. Furthermore, James says that God gives wisdom without finding fault. He says he won't reproach you. This means that God won't say to you ever, well, why should I give you wisdom? Don't you remember what you did the last gift I gave you? See, he doesn't criticize us. He's so kind, so gracious. So when you need wisdom, ask God. He will give you what you need. You know, if you struggle with doubt sometimes and you're looking at this, let me just tell you this. When this is where you are, just keep coming to God. Be honest with him and tell him that you're wrestling. Give him your doubt and you will find the more you talk to him, the better you'll get to know him and the more that you'll be able to trust him. See, God's resource for facing tests is always available. So ask for it today. In James 1, 12, God promises great reward to those who will rejoice even in life's troubles. Listen to this again. Verse 12 says, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. You see, in the end, the only way you can shelter with joy is to take the long view, the eternal view, God is at work in your life. He, he's preparing you to receive a crown of life, something far more valuable than any other earthly thing. James is saying, you'll get a reward at the end. You will get the crown of life. And so when you're going through tough times, you think of eternity. You think of God saying, well done. You, you think of reuniting with family who are already in heaven right now. I want you to go back to verse two, where James says, consider it pure joy. This word consider is actually an accounting term in Greek. It means to add up, to do the math. Whenever you're going through trouble, whenever you are going through tough times, you ask yourself, well, what's this all adding up to? You don't ask, well, what does this one number on the ledger look like? You ask, what's the bottom line? What's the ultimate product of this equation? In other words, do not leave that final number out of the equation because if you leave it out, you're doing the math wrong. See, by saying consider this word about thinking, James is saying, and this is so key, James is saying, I can choose my response in trouble. At some level, you see, we always have a choice about how we respond to difficult times. And this is not new age where you choose your reality. It's about choosing your response to reality. A pastor in the Bay Area was talking about this with a friend who struggles with clinical depression. And, and he asked this person, do you still have a choice in depression? And she said, well, you don't have a choice about the emotions you feel. But I have learned that you can choose not to indulge in sadness. I have learned that you can choose your self-talk, that you can choose to believe God has a plan. So, Rejoice, let me be clear, doesn't equal be happy. Just being happy is an emotion and you can't command emotions. Rejoicing is not an emotion. It's an approach. It's an attitude. See, I can't choose my emotions, but I can choose my attitude. So you don't need to be a victim to trouble. You control what you can control, which is your response. 
In the end, know this. It's not just up to you in your own strength because God who gives us choices also gives us his strength. So ask for his wisdom. Ask for his help. Trust God to answer. Trust God to know what's best for your life. Trust that he's always with you. Trust that he's a good and gracious God and that he is always at work, even in difficult times, even in trouble. Before we close today, I hope that no one thinks that I'm saying that any of this is easy. I don't ever want to be glib about suffering. And I know with the people who are listening today, all across Tracy Mountain House and Lathrop, actually all across our nation, I know that statistically, there's at least one person listening right now who was recently diagnosed with a life-threatening illness. I know that statistically, there's at least one person listening right now who just recently lost a loved one. I know that statistically, there's a couple listening and, and you just had a raging argument and, and neither of you wants to say it, but both of you are considering divorce and maybe you're just waiting until we're past this coronavirus crisis. I know that statistically, there are a number of you who are living right now with a painful, persistent problem or, or you're living in the wake of a life-altering tragedy or you're trying to, trying to get past a deep-seated wound from childhood. Whoever you are, whatever you're dealing with, if you are hearing this and listening to me saying rejoice in trouble and shelter with joy and you find yourself thinking, well, that sounds nice, but does it really work? If you're asking, can I really choose my response? Can I trust God? Can I rejoice? I want you to hear me. Yes, with God's strength and with God's grace and with God's wisdom, you can. You can consider it pure joy if you don't leave God out of the equation. As we close, would you let me do one thing for you this morning? Can I pray for you to have wisdom? Wisdom to see all of life from God's perspective, even your troubles? Can I pray for you right now? I want to ask you to bow your head and we are going to pray together. Let's pray. Let's go to the Father. Father God, here today, right now, there are many experiencing trouble. And Lord, you know that for some of us, it's deep trouble. You know that for some of us, Lord, the, the trouble started long before we had to shelter in place. And, and these past two months have only seemed to, to pile on to what was already a crushing burden. Father, I pray that, that whoever is listening would, would ask you right now, very simply, to give them the wisdom that they need. To give them your perspective. Father, would you comfort them with your love and would you help them sense how generous and how gracious you are. You're so good. Father, in the midst of trouble, would you let them know that you are here with them. You never leave, you never forsake them. Lord, in the midst of trouble, would you help them believe that, that one day they're gonna look back and see that today, as they trusted you and they, they prayed to you and, and they began truly to shelter with joy, that they also began to grow in ways maybe they've never grown before. Lord, we believe that can happen because we believe that you are a God who brings good out of bad, a God who redeems the very worst things and transforms them into the very best things. And Father, we 
are coming before you now and we are praying all of these things. Every request that's being lifted to you right now, we are, we are praying these things in the name of Jesus. Jesus, our Lord, Jesus, our Savior, and all God's people together. We say, amen, amen. As we close, I, I want to leave you with the same verse of Scripture that we closed with last week. It's such a hope-filled, joy-filled word from God. It's Romans 15, 13. Would you, there where you are, read this verse out loud with me? It's going to be on the screen. Paul is writing. He says in Romans 15, 13, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Thanks again for joining us. I'm praying that you will have a joy-filled week. I'll see you next Sunday.